again, everybody. Scott Bowden and Brian Last right along ringside and ready to go with another big day of the KFR podcast. And Brian, when it comes to memorable episodes, I have a feeling this is going to be a fabulous one, Pally. That's right, Scott. Today, your tag team partner, Howard Atomic Bomb, returns to discuss the abrupt departure of the original Fabulous Ones, Steve Kern and Stan Whoa, Lane. whoa, whoa, whoa there, Pally. Kern and Lane weren't the originals, technically. That would be Jackie, Donnie, and Roughhouse, the hard-way bleeding, hard-living, hard-drinking, and high-hat-wearing trio that strutted their way into Memphis wrestling immortality by kicking ass and looking fabulous doing it. For simplicity's sake, I just thought I'd refer to Kern and Lane as the originals because you're going to discuss one of the rare miscues of your booking hero, Jerry Jarrett. You stink, last! You stinky, stinky stink! I'm just saying. You stink! <laughs> so I guess Kern and Lane were what? The new fabulous ones? By no your standards? I, I, no stink face. They were the new originals. Talk about an oxymoron. Or maybe just a moron. You stink, last. You stink and if i ever ever catch you wearing sequins and some 25 dollar tuxedo you got down at the five a dime jimmy dean they'll be hell to pay pally right and no hi-hats no hi-hats for you okay no hi-hats jeez you memphis fans just love some jackie fargo don't you tell you something pal (laughs) jackie's got the heart the size of a watermelon a watermelon and he smells fabulous pal unlike you stinky uh-huh. <laughs> Take a shower, slap on some cheap cologne, hose down, and we'll be right back with a look at the debut of the new and unimproved Fabulous Ones. That's Rich and Gilbert, right? Stink! You stink! Or pork chop cash in the dream machine, that's it. Boy, let me tell you something, that burned me up when those two punks wore the high hats. Yeah, you seem pretty upset about the high hats. Oh, damn straight, Pally! It looked good on the New York Dolls, though. Don't wear the high hat! We'll be right back with more KFR right after this. Continuing our conversation about tag teams, we told you that uh, Jimmy Hart said he had another big surprise for us, and uh, here he is with it. Look, can I borrow your microphone? I've got, I've got to do this right. I've got to do this right. Come on, y'all got to sleep on the camera. Come on over here. Bring the camera over here. You know, how many times, I want y'all to, how many times has Jimmy Hart told you he was going to bring the greatest attraction to this area? How many times? Tell me, how many times? And I've always done it, haven't I? I've always done it, haven't I? That's right. I brought you Kamala 1 and Kamala 2. I brought you handsome Jimmy Valiant. The Valiant Brothers, the Graham, I brought you everybody, but I have outdone myself this time. I have really outdone myself this time because, ladies and gentlemen, and I use the word ladies and gentlemen very, very loosely out here talking to you now, but I put my mind to work. And I put together, Lance Russell, the greatest team in professional wrestling to date. And I'm going to bring them out. I want you people, come on, I want everybody to stand up. I want everybody up. Everybody up. Come on, you idiot people over there. Up. Put your hands together and welcome the greatest team in professional wrestling, the New York Dolls. The New York Dolls, baby. The New York Dolls. Look at them. Aren't they beautiful, Russell? Aren't they beautiful? 
Come here, boys. Come here, dolls. Come here. <laughs> beautiful. Beautiful, baby. Beautiful. The New York Dolls, baby. Aren't they gorgeous? <laughs> now, looking at the sheep herders and looking at this, this is class, man. A touch of class right here. <laughs> I can't believe this. Boys, I want you, dolls, look, I want you to take your jackets off and I want you to show all these. I could say lovely, but they sure ain't lovely. All these girls over here, the most beautiful bodies in professional wrestling today, right here. Come on, eat your heart out, baby. Look at this. Come on, pose for them, baby. Look at this. You know, I put together, like I said, the greatest team in professional wrestling in the dolls. They already have two super teams. I'm so excited. I'm so today. Sugar and Eaton are a great team. They're my number one team, baby. And then, of course, I've got Kamala one and two. And they're number one. Hi, wrestling fans. Certainly good to be back on this TV again. It's been some time, and uh, it's been nice out playing golf and then doing a lot of things that I'm I never got to do as a professional wrestler for 25, 30 years. Real exciting, boy, to get up in the mornings and knowing you don't have to jump on an airplane or jump in a car and and wrestle that night and jump in the car and drive back and drive another 800 miles the next day or get in the airplane with your sore body and your mind really not straightened out yet. It's been real nice, but I talked to my buddy Eddie Marlin. I said, Ed, you know, some days uh, fishing and golfing's about over. I'm watching wrestling on TV and get a little itchy <laughs> and uh, that's what I done I got real itchy I looked up on my TV and you know what I seen the worst imitation that I have ever seen in my entire life let me tell you something hard pally you don't know what a fabulous Fargo is you have no earthly idea. You bring two geeks, two guys that you picked up off the street, and you want to make them fabulous dolls from New York. You can forget that, Hart. Let me tell you something, pal. You're a joke, and they're a joke. What do you buy? A $2 uh, bottle of dye? Put it on their hair and buy them a $25 tuxedo? Let me tell you something, Hart, you punk. And your two little guys from New York. I sweated a many a gallon of blood and sweat to be a professional wrestler, and I'm damn proud of it. And there's only one fabulous Fargo from New York, Pally. That was me and Donnie. The pictures you see with the tuxedos, the high hats, the original fabulous Fargos, and a punk like you, Hart, <laughs> you're going to come along and steal something that I built up all of my life, that I put my pride and my glory in, something that brought me fortune and fame, heart. Well, you stink, boy. You stink. Now, I'm going to give you some good advice. I promised Eddie Marl I wouldn't cuss and raise too much cane on this TV, but I can't help it. You stink, heart. You're too synthetic. 
New York dolls. What a joke. Let me tell you something, pal. There's going to be any fabulous ones around. There's going to be any high hats around and tuxedos around. It's going to be first class, and it's going to be who I pick. Not who you pick, Hart. You stink. You stink. You got no... You got nothing about you, pal. $25 tuxedo. What a joke. My socks cost more than that, pally. When I walked around with the top hat on, with the gloves, the sequins, they cost something, boy. They didn't cost 25 cents. You're disgusting. You're disgusting to me. To think what I've put in the wrestling business and you want to come along with this. Well, let me tell you something, Pally. I went out and got me a couple of guys. Tough. That's what you don't have, Hart. You gotta be tough. You gotta have a heart. You gotta have a heart as big as a watermelon, not big as a peanut, like you and them two geeks you got. Well, Pally, I got me two wrestlers. And I'm going to put the hi-hats, and I'm going to put the tuxedos on them. But you know what they can do that your boys can't do? They can fight. They're tough. And if you slap them, you know what they'll do to you? They'll slap the hell out of you. They're going to do that. You're not going to smack them upside the head and walk off and prance around. Time you get your fist back from their jaw, by gosh, you're going to have one upside of your head. That's the only way it's going to be with me, pal. I'm back. The fabulous Jackie Fargo's back. Not as a manager, as a consultant. I'm going to advise these two men. And when I say men, I'm talking about men. Tough, rugged, fighters. That'll kick your teeth in, heart. You better not show up there. You better not show up in the arena with your boys with no tuxedos on and no hi-hats. You cannot, you cannot go around imitating me, Pally. I will not give you permission to do that. You have no right and you have the audacity of you. You little stinky stink, you stink. I got pride. I'm saying this to you right now. I am out of retirement. I want to fight. I want to feel. I want to touch. I want to beat. I want to claw and scratch and dig. That's what I'm known for, and that's what I'll die for. And I'm tough. Don't you forget that, heart. And don't you boys forget it either. Trying to imitate the fabulous Fargos, you ain't got a chance. I got two of the greatest men that I've ever seen. They're the ones that's going to wear the tuxedos. They're going to wear the top hats. And yeah, they'll be doing the Fargo strut too, pal. And I'll be proud of them. I'll be proud to say, look at that. Look in the wrestling ring. Look. I look back 25 years ago. I see me and Donnie. They're going to get out there and they're going to they give some people some hard times, pal. I'm not going to be running around like you, Hart, with a stick and a manager's hat and all that. I don't need it. 
But I'm going to be the advisor. I'm going to be the consultant. And I tell anybody, I don't care who it is, you must know this in the wrestling, as a professional wrestler, when you climb in that ring, you don't have friends. I don't care who they get in the ring with, or where, what city. If they ever do not take my advice, then I'll back away from them. But I think I've got the team that wants to be the fabulous ones again. And I'm looking forward to it. And I'm telling you again, Hart, don't bring your boys with them little $25 suits on. That's all I got to say, Pally. And we are back on Kentucky Fried Wrestling. And my blood's still boiling about those damn hi-hats. Anyway, today's topic comes to us from a loyal listener, Philip Dean Wallace. He writes in, I am sure you'll cover it when you talk about the new fabs. And perhaps Jerry Jarrett has discussed it on his podcast. I've listened to many of them, but haven't heard anything on it yet. But did Jarrett expect the fans to like the new fabs? Or was the angle for them to be hated even as they tried to be faces? Perhaps it was a win-win situation. If the fans had loved them, it would be great. And since they didn't, they had instant heat and potential storylines. I miss those days. Yes, I certainly miss those days, too. And I think the promotion missed out on a hell of an opportunity uh, to have a potential feud with the new fabs against the original fabs. And, of course, I'm talking about, (laughs) for those keeping score at home, Rich and Gilbert versus the returning Kern and Lane. However, they'd really kind of already gone that route. You know, they introduced... Port Shop Cash and the Dream Machine has Jimmy Hart's new fabulous ones right after Kern and Lane left with the idea that Rich and Gilbert uh, wouldn't catch any heat and they would gain the support of the fans because they were going to shut down Hart and his attempt to once again rip off the heritage of Jackie Fargo. And here with me to discuss that issue back in 1984 is my own fabulous tag team partner, Howard Baum. Howard, welcome back to KFR. Hey, who better? That was quite the soliloquy there, Scott. I didn't realize it was uh, Shakespeare night on the KFR, but well, as far as nonetheless, I When it comes to my intros, that certainly wasn't a fabulous one, but uh, bear with me. And that was off the cuff, folks. I want you to know that I sprung this topic on him late in the game, and uh, he rose to the occasion. <laughs> and uh, I think that was quite admirable. I it's, got chills at points. But I I concur wholeheartedly, and might I add, I was there. I was lucky enough to see the Fabs in maybe '83 and '85. No, '80. I don't know, '84, '85, whatever. But during when they were first there, and then when they returned in '85, they were equally amazing both times. It was lightning in a bottle, and it was amazing. Coolest tag team, coolest stuff I've ever seen. Lightning in a bottle. Oh, look at you! I, look at you! Lightning in a bottle because they had the lightning bolts on the tights. Ah, there you go. I'm sure you meant to do that. Might I say my favorite match that I was ever (laughs) ringside shooting photos of was the uh, Fabs against the Sheep Herders in one of these all Uh, over the ring brawls involving every piece of the furniture in the entire building. Because when you shoot a match like this, it's like war photography. Like, you know, Steve Kern's going to throw Rip Morgan right here, but you're going to stand right there. And if you don't get the shot and move in time, it's going to be you. 
And that's what I did, because the better the match was, the more I got into it, the better the photos would come out. And that happened nowhere as much as Memphis and the Fabs in particular. I and call it war zone photography. So, um, I'm sorry, so were you were you in, now you were in Memphis in 83, right? When they were in their prime. Yeah, that's what I think. Like, I went to 83 before we did the WFAA yeah. thing, and then 84, 85, we did that. So, yeah, it would have been 83, which we saw the Moondogs feud, amazing. Uh. First night in town, saw the, well, that week on TV, it was the turn of Bobby Eaton, turned on the Jimmy Hart family, called them a bunch of pussies on live Memphis TV. What? Wait a minute. I assume, I, what, yeah, 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 I was there in the studio. We're wait, wait, it up. I can't who, believe you don't know that. Who called? What, Bobby Eaton said that. Bob, when Bobby Eaton turned on the first family in 1983, and I think Coco turned previously, but this is Bobby now, and like it was the Moon Dogs and Bobby. Yes, and I, don't know I, I, I was there that night. Um, was, yeah. And, and like, like Eaton turned on the Hart family in this heated thing on TV, and he goes, "Cause you're a big bunch of pussies." Wow. And Bobby, you rarely says anything. The, I, don't, <laughs> I don't think that made the bicycle tape. I would have to check the archives, but don't think that quite made the rounds. But that was the match. It, and it was Eaton Fabs against Moondogs and somebody. <laughs> and <laughs> hey, man. You <laughs> didn't hire me for my uh, technical uh, ability. I'm not, as I have said, as I claim, folks, I'm not a historian. Please Man. look up dates and and uh, and cities in your own time. Yes, yes, yes. That, that, that's that's reserved for uh, for for geeks and nerds like me. Uh, thank you, thank but you, you know what? I I was there that night because it was some. It was man. It was summer of '83. Uh, and about eight thousand people there. Man, it was just it was summer '83. Man, that was a great time to be a wrestling fan in Memphis. You know, Lawler's in his prime. The Fabs are red hot, and there's a battle royal for a Corvette, right? And you know, Lawler's gonna win that fucking thing. <laughs> you know, he, you know, he went to a dealership and was like, "Hey, why don't you know? We'll give you some promo and the whole deal." And but interestingly enough, it comes down to Lawler and Kern. As you know, a nice little, and that was sort of rare in Memphis. I mean, you as daring as Memphis could be. It got it, they were it was pretty black and white a lot of times. If they weren't going to do a hill turn, uh usually a battle royal would would sort of come down to maybe two heels working on a baby face. Uh but certainly it was very unique and Stan Lane was hanging around. You know, he had been eliminated and our, it, the crowd just really got into it because they were they were wondering, you know, cuz cuz uh Kurt was getting frustrated with Lawler and did some slight heel mannerisms and Lawler ended up eliminating him. And then Kurt gets in there and man, I don't know, maybe it was a missed opportunity, but they end up shaking hands and the crowd like, you know, and the crowd's just like, yes, yes, yes. Like it's like, it's one of the greatest moments of sportsmanship you've ever seen. <laughs> and well, you know, you know the, the, I, fab, I, I, the Fabs don't need the Corvette. They got the they got the van, man. Uh yeah. Well, I'm not going to even get into that story. I tried to do Steve Kern a big favor, and I don't know if he heeded my advice or not. I said, "Don't show your wife that book." <laughs> okay. So anyway, <laughs> anywho, yeah, you know, as a Florida guy, 
Steve Kern is one of the all-time coolest baby faces because he's a heel in real life. He's a natural heel. And like you said, he's rough around the edges. And I believe, like, uh, when I was reading Jared's book, the quote was like, he was more rugged. And that's exactly what Steve Kern was. Greatest forearm smash in the history of the business. And, like, you know, I was friends with Tyree Pride. We did some stuff in the past. And in 1989, there was a PWF show, which was the the rebirth of Florida wrestling. It was Steve Kern, Mike Graham, Gordon Soley, Dusty Rhodes. And Tyree Pride was working the show. And we're all hanging out, me and Steve Kern and Tyree, and uh, the War Memorial in Fort Lauderdale in 89. And Tyree and Steve Kern walks off, and I'm sure, like, insulting me for too much cologne or something. And um, and then Tyree looks at me and goes, man, once I see Steve Kern wrestle, I see enough wrestling forever. <laughs> Put that in the back of your book, people. Well, you know what? I've, I've, uh, uh, I have a little bit of a Steve Kern story myself. Uh, I was a 19-year-old referee, and and as I've explained, you know, I was always hoping that eventually I was going to turn heel. So I was out there refereeing, and I had like a starch polo button down. Uh, I was actually <laughs> pledging Pi Kappa Alpha. Uh, this kind of notorious fraternity on campus that was known for wo- wo- uh, womanizers. Uh, actually, my my uh, pledge shirt said uh, had like these a chalk stick figure, like a guy with a uh, like a schoolboy with a cap, and it says, <clears throat> "Dick goes to college. Dick goes Pike. Girls love Dick." <laughs> and uh, so, so yeah so that was our reputation um nice. at any rate yeah <laughs> so we, we were kind of we were kind of like the the we, and seriously we would go to the football games dressed to the nines like everyone else is like in you know tank tops and cut off shorts and, and all that kind of stuff and we were styling and profiling but uh at any rate so i, I i've got all this and i go in the room and it's cornet First time I ever met Jim Cornette. And Cornette remembers all of this. It's kind of it's which is just bizarre. Uh, and Brian Lawler, who's wrestling one of his first matches without the hood, because uh, he and Tony Williams had been working as the Twilight Zone, uh, and they were the most ta- easily the most talented jobber pair, uh, maybe ever in Memphis, because they were doing all these. They were losing every week, but they were always they were working in like maybe one or two Japanese spots they had seen from because I was uh, tape trading and they and they would do all this stuff that they saw uh, Liger do and all and uh, Dynamite mm-hmm. Kid and all this kind of stuff. It was and the casual observer had to go, "What the hell is this?" Because usually the Memphis jobbers were just the absolute worst, like Rough and Ready right. and Panther, and here these guys were doing lucha moves and all this kind of stuff. Um, uh, so they don't want to beat the new kids for some reason. Like, you know, it's, it's Lawler's son after all. Uh, so the deal is, uh, the Kern's going to give, uh, uh, Tony the pile driver and I'm going to have my back, but I'm going to turn around and catch him and I'm going to call for the DQ and then Stan's going to forearm or no, uh, Steve Kern's going to forearm shot me and then Lawler's going to make the save. And, they were like, and, and Cornette looked at me and he's like, okay, you, you got it? I go, yeah, okay. And they're like, okay, good. And everyone just kind of looked at me and I went, oh, you want me to leave now? <laughs> so, 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 I, so I leave. And afterward, uh, Brian Lawler came up to me and he goes, he goes, dude, after you left, Kern goes, I'm going to fucking knock that yuppie on his ass. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, and? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know what? It looked fucking fantastic, and I didn't feel a thing. Excellent. Yeah. And, and it, oh, dude, it's so funny, too, because it just so happens that the this front row, front and second row at, at TV that day was like this biker gang. And <laughs> they absolutely hated me. And they, you can imagine Brian and Tony coming out to hanging tough by the new kids. Oh my gosh. They were, they were just going crazy when they hit the pile driver. And then when Kern hit, when Kern gave me the forearm shiver, they came unglued. It was like Hogan with the leg drop. Oh, awesome. Awesome stuff. Can't believe you didn't get over with the biker crowd. Looked like a natural. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, you never know. Fickle hey. crowd. I know, I know. Well, uh, let me tell you one last old fab story before we get into the new fabs, which all this was preamble, folks. We haven't even cracked the nut yet. So, but let me just tell you something ultra cool that I did. Um, what it was eighty-five, <laughs> and of, I was what, I, what when of, I was what of many ultra cool things you've done in your life. Oh, uh, exactly, exactly. I think that goes without saying. But anywho, I'm going back and forth between the ring and 85. It's it's it was the card that had Lawler and Idol against the Freebirds in a uh, bunkhouse match. Harley Race against Phil Hickerson, which was yeah. incredibly good. Um, so it was that card, and it was the Fabs against Sheep Herders. Yes. So many good pictures that night. It was like such a good on night. So I'm going back and forth between um, the ring and the dressing room area. On both sides, the heel and the face area. And um, so right then, catches me by surprise. They're get, the intermission's over. The fabs are coming out against the sheep herders now. So I lived the dream. I joined their cascade, their cavalcade. What do you call it when the president comes in? The road thing? Okay, so I got inside the thing yeah, with okay. like eight cops and the fabs. It was like the three of us and everyone. It was like I was a fab for a minute. I just joined their thing. It's like I, I had one minute where I could step in the thing or out of it. I'm like, oh, I'm in. And I was in, and it was just me, and I saw, like, Steve's back, and then stand in front of him, and, like, right to the ring with the music. Everybody fucking wants you. Amazing. I was, like, 19 years old at the time. The lights, spotlights, arena was black. Arena was dark. Spotlights, and everybody wants you. Me and the fabs with the police uh, cavalcade. We can edit the right word in later but that was amazing <laughs> that was one of the greatest things i've ever done Some oh. people say space mountain or whatnot but that was that was a highlight that was incredible and you were and you were integral to that to that whole thing oh everyone <laughs> but, uh, that. i mean we don't need to we don't need well, to get yeah, into all that history you know what and that and that was at a time because i i was i'm not sure if i was there that i think i was there the week before that night which was basically the same card but yeah and, but that, it, it, and there were about there were about ten thousand people there the night i was there uh and man yeah, it was it, packed it was really packed goes to show you i mean memphis was doing so well i mean they, they were you know uh, vince was starting to promote in town and uh every place was uh losing stars to crockett and wwf uh but summer of 85 was was mm -hmm. red was absolutely red hot in Memphis and they just absolutely brilliant you know Idol did his thing where you know he wanted mm -hmm. more money because he knew it was a hot program so they were like fine we'll just we'll just use Phil Hickerson 
and they and they didn't miss a beat. And if not, if anything, it, it made it even hotter, really, because Hickerson was more of a a brawler uh, and really a better worker than Idle. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. People, I mean, it's so easy to underestimate a Phil Hickerson. He looks like a big, fat, bald redneck. But you look at some of the earlier videos, those tapes from the 70s that are out there with him standing toe-to-toe, brawling Lawler and Dundee and all those guys, being agile, like a young Dusty. But when I saw him in 1985, could be because he is an old, bald, fat redneck, that he looked like he was about 55 years old. He might have been like 35 in redneck years. I don't know. But it was Hickerson against Race, and both of them looked 50 at that time. So do the math. Once again, 1985, I think Harley Race was like 42 at that time or something. And it was a hell of a match. I mean, it was a hell of a match, the one I saw. Oh, man. They, had, they, they worked around the horn. I saw them in uh, Jackson, and I saw them in Memphis. I think I saw them in Jackson, or Memphis two weeks in a row. But both amazing matches and filled with action that guys half their age couldn't have done. Yeah, uh, the one really I saw. Really great matches. One I saw, it was uh, some. It was almost like a takeoff on the uh, Backlund Valentine finish, where the wrong man, like it, like mm-hmm. Harley, maybe had him pinned. But you know, they were both bloody, uh, both mm-hmm. days. Not sure who that. You know, I think they collided. Harley fell on top. Uh, referee was knocked out too. Counted three, and then Hickerson switched over on top of they executed actually better than Backlund and uh and Valentine did. Uh that's the one I saw. I'm not sure if that's the one you saw or not. But man, yeah, that I was saw, I saw two of their matches and it was great. It was like an old school match slash brawl, like plenty of outside the ring brawling and big bumps in which I detailed earlier Harley Race fell S over T and fell on top of me. Because I'm the only guy, apparently, the only wrestling photographer in America <laughs> that never knew Harley Race did this spot where he flies over the turnbuckle. That's right, the I, photographer. Because I, I was going to send that to you, and I didn't. I didn't do it, but I will. Um, you and, have that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, oh, I got to look that up. I got to yeah, look that match up. That was a great match. Look that match up, folks. Race well, and no, 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 not that match, but it's the Lawler uh, uh, Harley Race uh, 60 minute draw. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because they do it. They, you know, they start losing the crowd around the forty. Oh yes, yes, yes. He does yeah. it in that match. Yeah. Correct, yeah. correct. So, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, it's great. And the, do you know the story of how Phil got into wrestling? And, and we and we just did an episode on him, so I, I don't want to get too much into it. But I briefly covered it uh, during the show. It, it's it's pretty amazing because uh, he, you know, he was a good high school athlete, but you know, was never gonna play pro ball anywhere. Um, and you know, it was a heavy set guy working in a factory and I, I think they would play make maybe some pickup basketball on, on, you know, the lunch break and stuff. And the security guard there, this big guy came it was trained, you know, training to be a wrestler and he goes, Hey man, you're going to think this is weird. And he said, I've been watching you. Uh, have you ever thought about getting into pro wrestling? And Hickerson was like, are you out of your mind? He goes, no, I'm dead serious, man. He goes, the way you move, I don't know, man. I, I just think you'd be a natural. I mean, how, how bizarre is mm-hmm. that, that, that it was that obvious to someone who yeah. probably a fan, a longtime fan who was training to do this and then saw, feel just the way he, a big, a big yeah. guy who could move. 
And it was so graceful. Yeah. And that's a big part. It's like, it's, you know, it's like Dusty. Like, I hate it when people, you know, Dusty, yeah, it's easy to bag on him for, you know, pushing uh-huh. himself so hard in 85 and 86 and 87. But, man, that that's that Florida stuff. And, and 77, 76, 78. Yeah. I mean, when he could move and so smooth. Man, just. Uh, very electric, very smooth, yes. very athletic. Absolutely, man. He, I mean, he was, and just, and just fucking, you know, uh, worked hard. And the fans, you know, yeah. even if they didn't understand the term, the terminology of working hard, they, 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 they felt it. You know what I mean? That he was leaving well, you know, everything he had out there. The air was electric in those days, yeah. and you don't see that stuff much these days. I don't know the last time that I was around anything close to it, but when Dusty was in his prime and Superstar Graham came down. Or Terry Funk's kind of heat that he brought, like in the 70s, and King Curtis in particular, like in the 70s in particular. Because by the 80s, it was still a more tamer time than the 70s. I'm so blessed, as people say, to have gone just as a kid to experience that vibe that became a part of my DNA. Because it was white-hot heat every week. And like people today talk about it in the abstract like it was a thing, but I experienced it when the chairs are flying and like you're trying to balance on a chair and people are fighting and there's a finish going on and like just pandemonium, legit pandemonium, like near riot conditions, pretty much at the end of any main event, dusty Rhodes match. Yeah. Up until like 1980 easily. Well, and, and that's, you know, I talked about that with Bill Dundee. Uh, Cause I just said, I said, Bill, I don't know if, if you realize uh, because you guys were traveling so much, because uh, Dutch Mantel told me that they didn't realize how big a celebrities they were in town, because they were always on the road. And and when they were on the road, they weren't thinking about how big a stars they were or what the ratings were. Nobody talked about ratings. They were talking about the next program, you know. And and Dutch and Dundee were were trying to become students of the business, and that's all they talked about with Jarrett. And or if they were riding with each other or they might have a rookie in the car and trying to teach him and and talk about some things and maybe try to get him over. And, you know, that that's something obviously that that was really lost. But I just said, you know, the fact that you guys were there every single week, um, it felt like you were, you know, uh, part of, you know, Lawler definitely being from Memphis was the was the home team. I said, but Bill, uh, I'm going to tell you a little story here, and I feel kind of silly doing this, but there was a loser. Uh, uh, no, it was uh, a world title match. It was rare that Lawler didn't get the the uh, the title shot against Bockwinkle, but that was all part of the heel turn because Dundee got the shot, Lawler didn't, and that was the catalyst for for Lawler's uh, heel turn. And because it was a world title match, my parents let me stay up because uh, Jack Eaton, uh, Channel Five sportscaster, would give the results. And he goes, uh, Dundee and Bachwinkle are still a little battling for the World's Heavyweight Championship. If that match ends before this broadcast, we will tell you the results. So my parents let me stay up. And the show is signing off. And Mason Granger, the lead broadcaster, the number one broadcaster in town, goes, oh, uh, excuse me. We just got word of the AWA World Heavyweight title match between Bill Dundee and Nick Bachwinkle. Bill Dundee was the winner of that match. And I just, I thought, I thought he had won the world championship. <laughs> he didn't, you know, he didn't mention the DQ. 
<laughs> and so, so the next morning, my ritual on Tuesday mornings, you know, because the you know the day the, the Nev internet, um, I would race. I would watch for the paper guy to toss, you know, toss the paper into the driveway. I would run out in my pajamas, and my my dad would tease me because you know we've got about a hundred rubber bands in the driveway because I would always I couldn't even wait to get inside. I would take the rubber band off the newspaper and, you know, turn the, you know, I'd be in the driveway in my PJs looking at the wrestling results. And I just knew that there's going to be something big about Dundee <laughs> winning the world's championship. And man, I was crestfallen. <laughs> oh, I, man, it's amazing man. how excited you could get for it back then. Right. Like the, every little shred of something that you could get, like when the results came out or something, if you didn't go to the show, exactly. But and when I asked Bill, I, you know, I told Bill that I said, Bill, you know, I and I, and I just wonder, uh, fans today, yeah, they, they they're excited, but but are they that emotionally invested? Nah, not anything <sighs> like that. I used to cut up my mother's sheets because every Sunday and Thursday, Sunday would be the ad for the show, Thursday would be the results of the show, and I would yeah. cut it on their bed and half the time I'd be cutting the sheets. I don't know how many like pairs of sheets I went through. Luckily my mother was good natured about it. I still have that stack of clippings to this day. And it was such excitement because in those days, guys, these days it's an embarrassment. It's a diarrhea shower of professional wrestling everywhere you look. But, um, somebody, 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 somebody damn podcast. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's that's part of the problem. We're, I'm here to take care of that. But um, back then, like I remember being genuinely excited because any insight into the business was amazing. If you could go to an independent show and glean some knowledge about how the big boys did it, you feel like you accomplished something. Maybe you heard a guy say something. Maybe they sucked, so it was a little more obvious what they were doing. And you could see the inner workings of the business from hanging around it being done really terribly. So in those days, wrestlers didn't make a lot of appearances, few and far between, and you'd be jonesing for them as a fan. So you can imagine my excitement around 77-ish, I want to say. Rock Riddle, professional wrestler, is going to be on Fernwood tonight. I'm like, oh, we're going to get something now. And we didn't get anything. But that ended up being like the one wrestler appearance that I can even think of in the entire 70s. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I re- I remember uh, I get, I think I can remember every time that I met Lawler uh, as a fan. Uh, the first time was at uh, a softball game, uh, and my my uh, dad's uh, brother uh, was friends with Danny Dunn. Danny Dunn transmissions. <laughs> I'll fix your car right and at a reasonable price. And, and Lawler would do the do the uh, commercials, and so that that was my uncle's uh, claim to fame that he that he knew Danny Dunn, and so not only did I get to go to to the softball game, but but uh, but my you know he brought me and, and my 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 uh, uncle was uh, was troubled. Let, let's let, let's just say uh, had a lot of problems in his life and uh, died uh, very young. Was hit by a train. Um, and, uh, he didn't, um, didn't have a lot to be proud of, but he was proud that Jerry Lawler, uh, knew who he was and was sort of a friend, you know, uh, he talked about it for ages when Lawler picked him up at his house because he was, because uh, I guess I think Lawler picked up Danny Dunn and then went to pick up my uncle, David, uh, who I called Dee Dee. 
Uh, and Dee Dee had just uh, a heart of gold. Uh, let, let's just say that. And I remember just being so it, 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 seriously, it was like me. I, I, I could only guess that it would be like a, a, a kid meeting Mickey Mantle. Yeah, you know, and it and it sounds ridiculous because it's a professional wrestler at a softball game, but I, I just remember being so tongue tied uh, around Lawler. Yeah, you know, and then the second time I think how old that, would you? How, how old uh, would you have been at this time? Uh, I want to say seven or eight, seven. Right. Yeah. yeah. So it's even more intense. Oh yeah. I remember being 10 years old i mean my first exposure to wrestling when i was nine but it went to my first show when i was nine um yeah first live show first exposure when i was nine but in 1976 i was 10 and they had this uh sports expo at the miami beach convention center and dusty rose was supposed to be there and in those days i would have killed cut off my leg <laughs> to meet either him or superstar graham you know I just thought, like, I didn't even like good guys, but Dusty had so much, like, he was Florida wrestling, and I would have, like, killed to meet those guys. So I didn't go, because I wasn't the kind of kid that, like, begged his father to go to every stupid thing. And it turns out Dusty um, no-showed it anyway, so it never even happened. But that was, like, so amazing to get a chance to be around somebody like that. That just would never happen. It was like a fantasy world that you couldn't get into, that you were not, you know, you didn't have access to. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it is bizarre because because I'm just it's just racing through my I can remember, I think, almost every time that I, I met Lawler uh, in public because you're right, because it, <laughs> it, it could be well, because it was it was it was rare. And, and yeah, and, yeah. I, and I, I and I was a big mark. <laughs> of course, I could. No, I could totally see that. Like you know, I like when it comes to certain names, I can remember every time chronological order. And what what are the proudest yeah. what are the proudest moments was when because uh, I I was that I was that guy you know because I was trying to find I was trying to find the pattern of how to get into the business potentially and I knew that you know that writing at an early age w w was my thing and uh, I I remember just being fascinated by who I I thought his name was Jim Cornetti. <laughs> I was like, oh, he's got the best job in the world. And then when I saw him, you know, eventually do his thing, I was like, ah, okay. So maybe I can get in that way. So I started writing. Yeah. Uh, so I started doing the write-ups, and I would send them to the aftermags, and they were getting printed. And and they, uh, I, I wrote one of uh, Lawler against Dundee, and they had pictures of them both. And I took that to an autograph signing, and I showed it to Jerry, and he goes, oh, uh, nice. And I go. Uh, and I pointed out my name. I go, that, that, that that's me. <laughs> and he goes, oh, oh. And I, 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 I kid you not, my friend. I'm in line. This is a line of people waiting for autographs. Lawler read the entire thing. Huh. And signed it, you know, at my pal, to my pal Scott. Yeah, nice. Because that is, but the fact that he read it, dude, how... What a baby face move that was. Right, right. But by the same token, you think Jerry Lawler's not going to read something about Jerry Lawler? Well, and it's bizarre, you know, because my big break to get into the business, I, I was doing a magazine article on Brian Lawler. Um, and this is still at, a, you know, this is, a, okay, now I'm jumping way ahead, obviously, here. Um, 
and you know because I was friends with Kevin Lawler, I was I had this backstage access, and everyone was very open and not really uh, honoring kayfabe. The only two people who really kayfabe me, Dave Brown and Jeff Jarrett. <laughs> But but Lawler and Dave was, Brown Dave Brown sure had it in for you from day one, man. Well, I gotta is, tell you. Yeah, well, he thought I was a nice young man who was you know just going to uh, Memphis State <laughs> at the time. This is even way before that. But he he would not. I, I would kind of you know ask these smart <laughs> questions, and he was not having it. Wow. Jeff Jarrett did the same thing. Uh, I didn't. I, I would didn't love to see an annoyed. I would love to see an annoyed Dave Brown in a way that is almost harder to come up with than an annoyed Lance Russell. Don't Very know. few examples of an annoyed Dave Brown, especially without a Travis Bowden, without a Scott <laughs> Bowden standing next to him. I think those are really rare. I think maybe with you in the scene, we see a little more of annoyed Dave Brown. I have a feeling. <laughs> oh man! Uh, just, no, but he's a great man. Yeah. Great. He's a class act, obviously. I mean, dude, and you know, he he doesn't do many interviews uh, about wrestling. And for him to do my podcast, uh, you know, and it was like a few days after my sister died, uh, just meant the world to me. And uh, yeah, and and he was open. He talked about everything, and he, and he actually was looking forward to it because he goes, you know, I really want to address this because a lot of people think that Adam West was drunk when he did that deal with Lawler and uh, he was sober as a judge, you know, um, but the, the, a lot of people forget that, you know, that was the character that was his take on the Batman character. Uh, yeah. So he, he was, yeah. was not inebriated at all. Which is true. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, he got his whole shtick from Lou Kippelman anyway. So <laughs> Captain Lou. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Captain, is it true that girls just want to have fun? Oh, Captain, my captain? <laughs> uh, can I take so the folks, fifth on that? This is the extended padded episode of the uh, new fabulous ones. I think <laughs> Maybe we can get on track before I have to put my egos in. Uh, well, at least give the people some closure. I'll give the people some closure. we got to get into the new fabs. That's well, what no. started this whole thing. Yeah, yeah. So... Uh, the, the new fabs now uh, obvious you know I, I i asked jared about this i've, I've talked about it in private with him but i but i also asked the question uh during the memphis roundtable in charlotte years back i i said i man i remember being so nervous because i said because I, I was you know just singing the praises of the promotion but i honestly felt like i had to address it you know and i said i, I think we can all agree you're probably one of the rare miscues. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, he, he's like, well, well, you know, uh, they had to do something. You know, they, they were so worried. They act like, in hindsight, they act like they weren't worried about Vince. They were. Uh, and with the Fabs leaving, that's almost the equivalent to Lawler jumping uh, in a way. I mean, the they they were just so man they were just so over with it's it's mm -hmm. rare it's yeah. rare to have a bill ticket like that an attraction like that that is that opens up the demographic cuz seriously the demographics uh of the of the of the Saturday morning audience changed and it definitely changed at the coliseum now, oh, it was sick. Cute girls jumping around. Oh, man, just suddenly they, they were every they, uh -huh. they, they were like they were like rock stars 
Um, yeah, yeah. You know, and and but you know, and, and it didn't hurt. Lawler didn't miss a beat. You know, um, and then and then that also served as the catalyst for the aging babyface Dundee to do his remarkable uh, heel turn, which he was just tailor made to do. Uh, and it also ushered in this new era of, uh, you know, the music videos. Now, you know, and it's, and it's, again, it is laughable in hindsight. I am telling you, man, when we didn't have any idea who these guys were, the strobe lights where you couldn't get quite, you couldn't get a good look at them when they, when he, when uh, Fargo introduced them. I mean, it, it just absolutely pure gold. It, 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 it was brilliant for the time. Uh, and again, it influenced so many other promotions. I mean, I think Joel Watts just basically just, you know, had wet dreams about the fabulous ones and then tried to recreate all their videos later on. Uh, well, you know, do you remember in the beginning, there wasn't even a word for him. They didn't call him videos. Jimmy Hart used to come out and be like, man, you think Jerry Lawler's got a special, yeah. I got a special baby. Yeah. They call yeah. them specials. My Yes. Which yes. is crazy because MTV was calling him videos three years before that, but that's beside the point. Brian Lawler, he, when he when he did his thing where he picks up the homeless guy, <laughs> and oh I, yeah, and here I'm laughing at that, but it it was a it was a classic video, it really was. And Brian was such a natural heel performer, uh, uh, God bless him. But uh, but he was calling, he was saying, well, "What are we going to show now, Dave? That's right, we're going to show the Brian Christopher special." <laughs> Because Brian grew up, you know, uh, watching the show. and Yeah, it had to be in his DNA for sure. It, yeah, I mean, it was very rare that they, that they ever said video, even though that was the uh, MTV vernacular, you know. Yeah, which is odd. Jimmy Hart, Mr. Music Man, the Sammy Davis of professional wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what, do you, what are your thoughts about now – Gosh, you know, the, the, the prob- there are a lot of problems here. Um, it's hard to replace. Uh, a t- it's like bringing somebody else in to be the king. You know, it, it's just almost. Well, I liken be- it. I liken bringing in Eddie and Rich to replace Stan and Steve. Like if Jerry Lawler broke his leg again and they brought Gary the King Lawler in. Well, come on, wait a minute now. No, look, and Tommy, then Eddie Marlin would come out and go, you know, I've known this man for a long time. <laughs> that's it. That's well, my. That's my. Well, that's all well, the Eddie Marlin I, I could think, do. I, I think. Guess. I think it would be closer to uh, to bringing in Carl Fergie, maybe to be the new king. <laughs> <laughs> Gary Lawler would look would look better on the uh, poster, though. I mean, if well, you don't yeah, have good eyesight, eyesight, you're you're easy pickings. Oh boy, I remember the first time I saw that. For the, those of you who don't know, uh, I guess after Jarrett and Bruiser's <laughs> relationship, uh, Dick the Bruiser, they, it fell apart. And oh, God, what was it, eighty three, something yeah, like yeah, that? Yeah, somewhere around there. They found a dead ringer for Jerry Lawler, <laughs> and I guess I don't. I mean, it's not too hard to copy Lawler's uh, attire, uh, but man, you, <laughs> the if, new if improved king now with thir- now with thirty percent more pudginess. Yeah, but if you're look, kind of looking out of the corner, it looks a lot like Lawler. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, he had the uh, goatee down. He had the basic yes. head structure. Oh my gosh! But but anyway, yeah, the singlet, uh, of course. But I, I, I guess they were really banking on the hatred of Hart and getting the, all the heat on Cash and Dr- the Dream Right. Machine. But right. it just, 
but you know, it really, man. And so, I think Stan Lane explained it best. He goes, you know, by the time we came back, you you had the Hearts Fabulous ones wearing our stuff. You had Rich and Gilbert wearing our shit. <laughs> And we come back, and it gives it just it diluted the fucking gimmick. <laughs> oh yeah, please. Um, I mean, well, you know what's hilarious about it? I mean, of course, you know the entire saga of the fabulous ones is told from the position of uh, fabulous one Jackie Fargo sitting drunk on his goyasha couch. And once you see Jackie Fargo and his couch, you know that it's on because something big is going to happen. So. He's like, first on TV, he's like, you might have not seen the fabs around here for about six weeks. And, you know, as you said earlier, all the reasons that led up to it, they, uh, they went against the, uh, the Jackie Fargo code, the Fabulous Ones code and all that, and we don't cotton to that. So um, he's like, but I got something brewing, and I'm going to let you know. I'm on, a, I'm on the hunt. So two weeks later, he comes back, or whenever it is, and he's on the couch again. <laughs> And um, I, I, I don't think he'd ever left the couch, really. <laughs> I, I, I think he just had a bottle and he, and he was calling around the country, maybe. I know, whenever they happen to need him for a big angle. So now, you know, they worked uh, the PYTs, I think, in their first match. And no, they got, no, 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 no. Okay, see, this is where we need a, uh, Scott. A, uh, no, no. Scott it, they, listen, they did everything they could, right? Who better for them to go in and steamroll? With the Moon Dogs. Hmm, I must have missed that. Yeah, they, so they were re- trying to recreate the whole original. No, fabs, no, dude. they were they were just telling you, uh, these new fabs come in, and oh, beat they're them. badass, yeah, dude. And if you I, if you look back at the results, Rich and Gilbert never lost, never lost at all until they dropped the belts to the Mid Southern Spooler. <laughs> Frank Morrell and Phil Hickerson. Right. Seriously, they went three months without without losing, and the fans still hated them. Yeah, because you okay. So the t- the video that I have that has all these highlights, um, they're a little more condensed. They move the angle uh, on a little more. Apparently, I didn't know they lasted that long, to be honest. But the first interview that I saw was they come out on TV. It was I think it was after a PYT match. They go <laughs> right into into. Um, into damage control because the whole territory is crapping on them. And um, so they're out there and they're in the, they're in the black floor to, you know, they're in the long black tights with the lightning bolts and the tux jackets and everything. Tommy Rich is out there with his hair curtains, like he's a bass player from Proco Harem or something. And I don't know how that, I don't know how he walked around like that in real life, like how that's a look. The English call that curtains, you know. <laughs> All those, yeah, well, all those prog it, groups, well, that's, that's it, known as curtains. It was certainly curtains for his career uh, at that point. Oh, my goodness gracious. So they're out there, and Rich is like, you know, when my daddy left, and my mama started bringing all these yeah. guys around the house. <laughs> yes, yes. And, um, you know, I, I got mad at all these guys. And uh, then I realized, well, it's really my daddy that I should be mad at, because he's the one who up and left. So don't be mad at us. And here he is in head-to-toe Fabulous Ones gear. He goes, we're not trying to replace Stan and Steve. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, my God. We're not trying to replace Stan and Steve. I mean, like, if me and Pete Letterberg came out there, like, dressed as uh, Ricky and Robert, like, we ain't trying to replace Ricky or Robert or nothing. <laughs> which, which, <laughs> which, 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 one point, was in the cards, from what I understand. 
<laughs> exactly, I know. Jarrett was so high on us, man. Pete fucked I, it up with a drug test, but I, I think I think Pete could cut a better promo than Robert Gibson. Uh, but <laughs> it's a fifty-fifty. <laughs> you know what's so funny? I mean, the Gilbert and Rich just did not look right together to begin with. There was no chemistry between those guys, and it was kind of a waste of two good Memphis names because Rich had some um, some fan support behind him. Rich uh, Gilbert certainly did. And through the entirety of the angle, everybody was still with Rich. And when he began his subtle turn, all of his things that he was saying sounded reasonable and plausible. He's like, well, Rich won the IWA belt for Mr. Ito, the international belt for Mr. Ito. Look at me. I did my research. I'm a regular Scott Fountain over here. He won the Southern belt from who? Uh, Bundy. No, uh, Rude. Cool. Because I. No, it might have been Bundy. Oh, God, it's got a bug. I think it was Bundy because I just watched this stuff. All right, all right, all right. But he gets it. Pretty sure it was an, Bundy. He, he gets an assist from Lawler in one of them. I know that. Yeah, so anyway, like, Gilbert's on the outs now. Instead of rebuilding their tag team, Rich is winning these titles. But Gilbert comes out there and he starts giving these sincere interviews and he's like, you know, Tommy doesn't have time to invest in our team and blah, blah, blah. And he gives one of those earnest, baby faced Memphis interviews. Plus, they already like him better than Tommy, right? You would know that better than me, but that's definitely the vibe that I got. Well, yeah, I mean, and Eddie, yeah, because Eddie, we, we saw uh, basically. I think what happened, you know, uh, everyone loved Tommy when when he first started, uh, and my, my sister adored him, and and he was a Rosie star. But then he left and and went to Atlanta, and Eddie, right. you know, we saw Eddie kind of grew up and develop into a man, you know, I mean, he was a second mm-hmm, generation totally. guy. So he was hanging around as a photographer. Uh, you know, people would see him at ringside as a kid. I mean, you know, he, he was our guy. Uh, I think they honestly, cause if they wanted to do the deal where this was going to springboard, I guess they were, they were trying to salvage it by going, well, this could be the thing where we can finally turn Eddie Hill, which is what he's always wanted to do. Right. He's always wanted this exactly. position, you know, with Lawler. So we're going to make the best of a bad situation. I almost think that, the you know, the way the fans hated Tommy, I think they should have just turned both of them, had a feud with the fabulous ones. Uh, but maybe that Ooh, been that would have been that would have been amazing. But but I mean, I think that's the only thing that would have been cool and popped me at the time to make them look anywhere near cool is if they had some spectacular brawls with the fabs and came up to their level in everyone's eyes, which never would have happened. But um, no, I mean, no. even if they came down and worked each other, never they never would have been Stan and Steve, not in a well, thousand years. Well, and here's the thing, too, that the timing of it was was off because at one point and this is according to uh, Meltzer. Uh, you know, they were, they were building toward that big, uh, Jan, uh, June, 1984 show that it went, it went through a lot of different name changes. At first it was called Starcade, <laughs> and then it was called, uh, uh, Star War. And then I uh, know, I think it was Star Wars and then Star War. So they might not get in trouble with, uh, the Lucas folks like they were watching local wrestling shows. Um, uh, but apparently it was supposed to, they, they were bringing Flair in to wrestle Tommy. And so that was why Tommy was getting that singles push uh, because they were going to have Lawler and idol against the world oh. and, and uh, Flair defending the title against rich. 
And ah, that makes and, sense. And Eddie was going to interfere and cause Tommy to lose. But ah. what happened, uh, they realized that WWF had only sold about 200 tickets <laughs> two days before the show. And so he, and Dusty was on the undercard too. So Jarrett, having balls of steel, canceled Flair and canceled Dusty because he goes, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't need you now. Right. Uh, and they really did. They probably would have sold it out had they had it, but. Uh, I was there that night. That was the night that Randy Savage piled drive Ricky Morton through the table. And I swear oh. to God, I, I, I looked at my friend and go, oh, my God, he, he's dead. <laughs> I mean, I was dead serious. For I, the I, time, yeah, for the time, that was amazing. And not only that, folks, those tables are like oak trees. Those tables are thick. <laughs> oh my those God, tables I, are like uh, <laughs> women at the pink put, at the, no, let me give a better one. Those women, those tables are thicker than the ladies that, fuck, oh, fuck it, forget it. <laughs> Make up your own folks jokes. <laughs> Good night. Well, there's, All right, that's it for Howard. Well, there's got to be now. There's got to be a, a Miss Miss Coffee joke in there somewhere. <laughs> well, you, you know, know, now that I'm here, I want to I want to do like an in depth dive on the behind the scenes characters of Memphis people, the the coffees, and all these people that you see running around behind the scenes. And who they are and everything, like um, uh, Teeny and Joe Coffee, uh, the behind-the-scenes characters coffee, of, Joe of Coffee. I know, I always do that. I swear to God, I always do that. But thinking, those are great I, people. Guy Coffee, and, Guy Coffee and his wife. I've got to do some kind of trick so I can like reverse that, some kind of uh, behaviorism or something, because I always do that. Um, anywho, yeah, I want to like do a deep dive in all these behind-the-scenes characters that you that are a part of the Memphis oh, wrestling well, scene. You can forget about it this week because we're doing the new. Well, I mean, what? it's already a nine-hour Patreon special at this point. I mean, come on. But oh, no. Um, uh, but, but you know, I just have one more button to put on the whole the whole new Fabs thing is that when you know it was like Jackie's the dad, and and now it's only him and Tommy on the couch, and they don't know what they're gonna do because Gilbert has gone rogue and all this. And um, so Fargo's going to come out, and he's going to team with him now. And he goes, don't let appearances fool you, because I didn't write this quote down, but let me see if I can paraphrase or remember. He's like, because conditioning and athleticism are a way of life with me, Pally. <laughs> well, now, wait, a goes, wait a second now. i got to stop you right there, Pally, because... Am I casting aspersions? Well, I've heard, I've heard Brian last. Kind of, you, know, he, he try, you know, he's trying to do Fargo a little bit, and... I almost playing it for comedy. I want to say this. People, his interviews were not polished, especially at that point in his life. <laughs> but man, they were believable. They oh, really definitely, were. Definitely. Definitely. It's, 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 yeah. No, that, he's the quintessential Memphis because it was believable slash comical in I, one. It's like, I, yeah. you know, he's drunk, you know, he's old, you know, he's whatever belligerent, whatever, you know, he's a, like a you know boisterous redneck but everything he's saying is real like how much more to connect him connecting to his people is like dusty connecting to his people it's like he's speaking their language well absolutely I, well because because brian at one point uh kind of made fun of fargo he's like i can't think of what to say about heart so he says it says that he stinks and i go no that's great because he's he's so he's he's so angry because the new york dolls you know who stole that was the whole catalyst for creating the 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 fabulous ones uh lane and kern because jimmy hart's new york dolls with the with the cheap tuxedos and fargo apparently mm -hmm. was really upset about the hi-hats <laughs> <laughs> yeah so, yeah it's, it's funny what it's funny what people 
like um, cling to in this business, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, the yeah. color orange is mine. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, I own orange now. But Fargo, he, he goes on and on about, he mentions the hi hats, I think, like three times. And then he closes with, and they're not going to come out there with these 50 cent tuxedos. They're going to come out there looking nice. <laughs> and you better believe they're going to have the hi hats. <laughs> oh my God. He's obsessed with the hi hats. But, but he gets so frustrated with Hart. He goes, Hart, you, you, you're just so evil and, and you're synthetic and you, you stink. You stink. He goes, oh, he goes you, you stink, Pally. And then they come back to Hart in the, stu- in the studio, and he's like, I stink. Do you hear that, Lance? So I remember being in the studio when that actually happened, when Hart, when, uh, Hart was out there with his first family, Bundy, Carl Von Hess. I don't remember who else. And there was a dropout in the audio, which is ironic for us behind the, chain, behind the scenes. We're obviously going to have a big chuckle because I'm telling this story for the second time because we just had an audio dropout. Behind the scenes, ka-ching. There's one for the Patreon. Anyway, Hart's out there with Bundy and the first family, and Jackie Fargo's calling in his interview, and they're showing it on the TV. And they're playing it in the studio, and we're all watching it, and he's like sitting on his couch. It was a long interview. And he's like, and Hart, you stink, Pally. You stink. And then we get back to the studio, but there's an audio problem. And Hart tries to laugh it off like he always does, but the audio doesn't come on immediately. And so Carl Von Hess or Bundy or somebody makes the save, probably Bundy, because Carl Von Hess didn't really joke around that much, I don't believe. But he's like, what? What do you say? You stink. And then Hart got back up to speed. I don't remember if it was an audio glitch or something, but Hart's like, I stink, baby. And they got back into the rebuttal interview. But... So you're talking about how Brian doesn't like that moment where he says, you stink. And well, again, I say that's Quint- I, no, 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 no. Let me just say, I say that's quintessential Jackie Fargo slash Memphis once again, because it's not that polished. It does sound real. But at the time, I remember thinking, I'm waiting for a really good word to come out. And he's like, you stink. Yeah. Like, a, like a kid, <laughs> like a child would say. So you're, so you're both completely right. But 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 it, um, what's what's odd, what's odd about it is that clearly his anger has got the 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 better of him, right? Yeah, and, and, yeah. And, we've, and, and we've he can't all, even think. He's so mad he can't even think, like in real life. But I do. But I think uh, I think I had the order wrong because I think he says, "Heart, you stink." It, and but he closes it with, "He goes, they're not going to be like your synthetic New York dolls." And that, uh, dude, that that's a pretty strong close right there, partner. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So in hindsight, what have we learned here? They should well, have never tried. Yeah. They, they, that's, they, that's the you know bottom what? line. What, basically, what they should have done. I think. I think Jarrett was savvy enough to realize that they weren't going to get over anywhere else quite like they did in Memphis. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I think. They drew some some good money in the AWA, but they, they were almost better suited to be heels there. That was almost probably the worst place for them to go. Yeah, uh, you know, and then now, every- see, that would have been interesting. Yeah, they would have been like two Steve Regals, but with personality and working ability. Yeah, and I don't know what the problem was with the Road Warriors. I guess they were supposed to win the world titles, and uh, and then it turned into a shoot. If if uh, you believe yeah, everything yeah. telling the story, which I can almost. Uh, I can Which they see wanted that. no part of. No, I've I've seen the video right along with them both telling the story, and um, seems very plausible. It's like there it is, just well, dude. Hey, they're telling I, of the story. The, the first match between the Fabs and the Road Warriors, I went, you know, I went to, and I talked about that because, man, how about how is how about this for a dream card 
the very first time Lawler wrestles Randy Savage is the main event, and the first time the Fabs meet the Road Warriors on the same card. Uh, and mm-hmm. dude, that Matt, I it, I don't think I don't I think the the very beginning aired in a special <laughs> later on. Uh, but that, I don't think I've ever seen the complete first match from the Coliseum, uh, from December of 83. That was, look, I, I just, I remember as a kid thinking, you know, I know that wrestling is maybe not, uh, it pains me to say this, like not 100% on the up and up that looked like a real fight. I mean, it, in other words, it was incredibly stiff. Well, I, Yes, let me tell you something. Road Warriors in those days were incredibly stiff. No, I know. 80, yeah. 82 or 83. I want to say but, 83. But they came was, down to work. But yeah. they, were, was, they came down to work, Buzz Sawyer and his brother. And man, the, the Road Warriors were a force of nature in those days when they first came out. Like the closer they were to looking like biker, like a biker gang, that's the closer they were to pure, raw, like fury. Well, that was that was that was the key to getting them over because they the matches had to be short. They had they they shouldn't look like they, they shouldn't be great matches because these guys aren't wrestlers. They're you know they're, they're you know uh, post uh, uh, apocalyptic uh, warriors you know uh, who who just are gonna just you know beat you to death and that's basically what they said that they were gonna do. It's sort of like with Kamala, you know, the fact that he was the shit as a wrestler was a strength. Uh, in that character, yeah, because he looked yeah, like totally. he, had never, he looked like he had never been in the ring before, uh, and maybe that's a bit racist, but uh, but you know, hey, it uh, it it certainly certainly clicked. I I, lo- I always cringe when I hear somebody say, "Oh, I know that sounds a bit racist," but because uh, there there really is no uh, getting around the uh, Kamala gimmick, <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> right. But you know what? I was a huge mark for that. I was already shooting ringside in 1982 and shows you how much of a mark I was even at that point. Uh, and Kamala came down to work dusty. I swear to God, I've always been into that like African myth- mythicism and I collect African art now because I just think there's because, a lot of power because, and stuff within all that mystery, all that voodoo stuff. Because of Kamala? And, and I was a nut. No, 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 no. Because I was into that stuff earlier because my parents had statues when I was a kid in New Jersey, Kamala? Just, like made him, <laughs> oh God, he's not, that's going to be the new catchphrase. <laughs> so anyhow, yeah, I was taken aback. I mean, when I saw Kamala, I thought like I was enough of a mark at that time to think that Jerry Lawler's Jerry Jarrett's backyard was the deepest, darkest Africa. And, uh, you know, Kamala, when I saw Kamala alive, I thought he was a savage. That's call me crazy, but that's, a lot, of, a, lot, a lot, a lot of strange characters hanging out in Jerry Jarrett's yard. Uh, Kamala, Apocalypse, <laughs> uh, Jim Barnett. Uh, <laughs> 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 oh, anyway. Um, so yeah, the the the, uh, the Fabs uh, when the, the new Fabs break up, and it, and the timing of it, uh, you know, it got thrown off because the flare date got canceled. So when when Steve Kern and Stan Lane returned to be partners with Lawler against uh, Rick Rue, King Kong Bundy, and some, I, I don't know if I ever figured out who this jabroni was, this uh, guy with makeup called The Animal. Certainly wasn't uh, a... Yeah. Uh, he yeah. worked UWF in Memphis, and that was the end of him. Like Mark Reagan, they had the same career trajectory. But I love that, though. Like, like Lawler's, you know, he, he's he's desperate. He needs, you know, the only two guys who can help him 
not not the two fabulous ones that is at his doorstep. He has to go. Uh. And uh, the original, and so they start calling the them the original fabulous ones, and suddenly Tommy Rich and Eddie Gilbert are just Rich and Gilbert. Yeah, they, yeah. They, they, so they drop the name before the split, which was really odd. Uh, so clearly, I, I, I think that uh, that was the direct that I, it was all going to steamroll and happen sooner uh, to get Rich in contention for that world title shot against Ric Flair, and then Eddie was going going to spoil it. Uh, and I uh, I do have to say, Howard, and this is probably the first of many times I will be correcting you in the future. Um, <clears throat> Tommy Rich defeated Rick Rude to win the Southern. Oh my! With, with an assist from. From Jerry Lawler. Congratulations. And we will close with that. Uh, no, <laughs> uh, you know what? I, 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 well, I, I will say this though. Um, you know, it was it was it, tough sledding for for the new Fabs, but the angle with the PYT that that I think it was in Nashville where they had that crazy bloodbath that almost yeah. turned the tide a little bit, and then they 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 follow that up with. Uh, Meltzer, I think, called it one of the best matches of the 80s, the Falls Count Anywhere match at the Mid-South Coliseum. With, mm. uh, uh, so they were starting to kind of turn the corner a, a, a little bit. And, and I honestly think if they had just come in as a tag team and not exactly. worn, you know, because, you know, Tommy Rich is just, he, he, was, he, had, a, he had a clumsy charisma that that the yeah. girls liked, the guys liked, you know, but he didn't have it. He had no class, and so for him yeah. to try to pull off, and and Eddie was just perfect perfect example of this. After the I and I, I and I don't know how I remember it, but it just it, it stayed with me uh, because Eddie eventually developed into a, a great interview, but he was he, it, it did not come naturally to him as a as a babyface or a heel. They had this mm-hmm. that big brawl. Right, that they shoot, which is totally designed to get them over as like tough, tough guys, and you know you, you got to respect these two, right? That big brawl with the PYT, and the PYT are out there doing an interview. Rich and Gilbert run out and jump them, you know, and run them off. And Tommy, you know, does his incoherent. Somebody say something about crazy time, da 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 da. Right, you know, and it sets up the falls anywhere because it's like. We don't care where we get you, da 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 da. And he and Tommy kind of walks off, and Eddie and Tommy has ripped his shirt off like Hulk Hogan, but without the pictorial muscles. Uh, <laughs> and Eddie slowly unbuttons his shirt. <laughs> it, was, it was so lame. And then he and, and he goes, "Yeah, like Tommy said, we don't care if we see you down at the mall or maybe at the service <laughs> station." We're gonna be after you guys. Station. I know, and it just the gentleman, oh, the gentleman oh. brawler. Yes, yes, and he, you know, and then, and, you know, and then probably quickly buttoned his shirt back up as he oh was my God. walking off camera. And they wore those shirts. They always wore these uh, airbrush T-shirts that said "Totally Awesome." <laughs> oh wow! I did, yeah, that that was way back there in, in the re, in the recesses of my mind. That's correct. Uh, what what carnival just, they got their gear at? Man, oh man, they were they were they were doomed to failure, but uh, everybody certainly totally. remembers uh, the new fabulous ones. And if anything, it did put Eddie on that level eventually 
to be where fans accepted him as a main event player. Uh, I was there when he beat Jerry Lawler in a Texas death match for the first time to win the Southern heavyweight title with uh, an assist with a towel uh, soaked in ether. Uh, and Randy Savage even tried to stooge it off and Eddie attacked him afterward and just some brilliant stuff. And Eddie was off and running. So uh, not necessarily uh, an auspicious beginning, uh, but uh, it certainly turned into a, a fabulous run as a heel for Eddie Gilbert. And really, yeah. that's the Eddie Gilbert that we re- remember today, the hot stuff character. Maybe not the perm. Yeah, yeah. Maybe not the perm, but, <laughs> uh, you know. Uh, oh, well, in and, a way, I think he needed to get out of Memphis, do the UWF thing, and I think that's where he really blossomed a little. And uh, But at that time, he was too boyish. He was not a fit for the Stan and Steve thing. And, you know, I was thinking when I was going to put my thoughts together for this, I'm like, okay, shouldn't have been Rich and Gilbert. If they wanted a team, let them team, let them be singles, whatever. But they shouldn't have even been part of that equation. But then what if they made another team out of them? What if they found a couple of other guys? And then I said no again, because anyone in that position would have been crapped upon. There's nobody that could have been in the Fabs position. Yeah. I, at, I, that, I at that time. So there's I, I, no I, argument about it that there's no way that – you could have another fab. That's well, just not an option. Well, and I and, and I think I think you know Jarrett. Uh, I mean, I'm not. I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but uh, after observing how red hot Lawler was, after you know, it was unfortunate that Lawler broke his leg in 1980 and was out for the year. But ultimately, it, it was probably best for the long run because you know how can I miss you if you don't go away. Um, and the bond with life, you know, yeah. That, and the bond, like you think, lo- something's a set, you think something's a setback and it ends up being your biggest break. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the, the bond between Lawler and, and, and the fans, uh, grew stronger when, when he came back, because at, at one point, you know, he rebroke the leg and, and there, there was a danger that he was not going to wrestle again. And, and in 1980, they actually had, I mean, Jerry Jarrett pulled out one of the best years of, booking uh they didn't sell out the mid-south coliseum but they had some damn good houses you know and they did a lot of different stuff that you wouldn't see when jerry lawler was in charge and a lot of it worked but uh you know by the end of it when you start looking at october november the crowds they were just dying for lawler to come back and when he did yeah that place was on fire it led to that great year of 1981 and 1981 also saw Kern come in and I thought Kern Kern was over with me as as a kid just right from the beginning because you know he he was in shape good looking guy but he was soft-spoken and talked tough and could brawl yeah you know yeah he was just he was he was he was tailor-made for Memphis because he was he, he was real yeah totally he was you know, like, yeah, he was, you know, he, him and Slater and all those guys and Mike Graham used to get in fights in Tampa and they were like the tough guys and all that. Steve Kern, like I said, he's a real life heel. He's one of my all time favorites to well, watch. And, and, you know, and and, even, and, even, Stan, even Stan Lane, I, I love the way that they turned Stan Lane babyface because Stan to me almost had that, almost like that Rick Rude natural heel charisma exactly they, you know, they tried to turn like, like a stripper like a stripper heel <laughs> yeah or like that sleazy character in boogie nights you know who uh take uh turns dirt Diggler, turns on dirt diggler into uh to coke and all that kind of stuff where they rob the drug dealer not maybe not that sleazy but 
stay in lane turns. Like kind of an almost, dare I say, kind of an almost, dare I say, Joey Ryan vibe for the time. So is it maybe? Yeah, yeah. But uh, give me stay in lane any day. Uh, but <laughs> you know, stay in doesn't make a baby. You know, he doesn't have a change of heart. Doesn't you know go out to save uh, a baby face because he thinks it's unfair that there's a beatdown. Uh, a fan doesn't write a letter asking him to change his ways or anything like that. He, he, he suspects that Hart is ripping him off. <laughs> it's all about money mm. with this guy. Yeah. Uh, see, and- see, see, let me, let me, let me give you a sidebar. I was just watching an angle between Alan Kowaji and um, Sir Oliver Humperdinck based on the same thing. So now he'd continue being the same asshole he was before, but he's short in his check. So hence he's going to turn on Humperdinck or Hart. Now the fans are with him, like, oh, he's fucking him on money. What? But he was, he was, but he was content to be the same asshole he was last week. In a way, the good guy's ass. In a way, in a way, it wor- it worked with Lane because I don't know if the fans would have bought it otherwise. Because you know they, they could buy, <laughs> they, they could buy him getting pissed off at heart over money. I don't know if, if they true. would if they would think that a playboy like that would have compassion, you know, to make a save for somebody. Uh, I, yeah, that's I thought, true. That's true. I thought I thought I thought it was great stuff, and I think they even did a deal too, where the where the where the baby faces were slow to trust Lane. Uh, yeah, you know, for for a few weeks. Yeah, I think that's that. helpful. Absolutely. Oh yeah, no, I, absolutely. And, and again, I, I just think it's one of those great things that that made uh, Memphis so special. Uh, and yeah, let me tell you something. Even Florida, when somebody would turn, oh, all of a sudden they're embraced. All of a sudden there's hugs in the ring. There might be like one moment of reticence during the match where there was a turn. And then from that point on, Manny Fernandez and Dusty Rhodes are embracing Bugsy McGraw like an equal. After two years of being a heel, after one night, they're like, oh, he's with us now. Like, they're all over each other. Well, you no, know, I, yeah, like, it, yeah. And it, how do you, it, I don't get these turns. If I, was, if I was a booker, I'd be a little more psychological about it, like they did with the Terry Funk turns and all that, and be like, listen, I know you don't trust me. And like Memphis, like you know, made a career on that—the whole "you don't trust me" angle—but that's for another time and place. Well, yeah, and and when uh, when when Lawler first turned babyface, and he's kind of doing his Dusty Rhodes thing a little bit, uh, he, you know, he and Tojo are suddenly partners, and Tojo starts the interview and kind of goes on and on and on, and finally he finishes it, and Lawler goes, uh, "Tojo, <sighs> just have to say we're going to be tag team partners." I'm I'm going to be the one doing all the talking. <laughs> you know? And and it was a heel move, but the fans bought it because you know it's it's not like he suddenly changed, and he and he still yeah. called Lance Banana Nose a little bit, and you know because yeah. otherwise it, it it would come off. You know he was thrust into the situation where uh, Sam Bass and Phil Hickerson uh, and Don uh, I believe it was uh, Al Green. Uh, turned on him because they were bounty hunters for Jack Briscoe, which probably Briscoe knew nothing about. They were using his name like that. Uh-huh. <laughs> but uh, so so Lawler and Tojo are thrust together. But Lawler's not going to come out and automatically start changing his personality. Yeah, they want to they want him to be a, to get over as a baby face, but he can't you know immediately just start kissing babies. You know what I mean? He's he's got to go which, through this. You know, you know. I think you just like. Um nailed the appeal of Lawler because he's really a heelish baby face. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, he carried that through. Like, you you totally nailed it. Like, you know, you have to be a good heel before you can become a good face and all that. Um, But really, in his case, he kept that cockiness with him and he just inflicted it on his opponents as opposed to the audience. Yeah. And um, 
His that's walk, what made him that cool kind of cocky, cool heel because he was like joking and making fun of people. Yeah, dude, he, he, there's there's the the best thing I can say about Lawler as, as a as a performer. Well, one of the, one of the many things, right? If you if you look uh, the when he gets done with an interview and he's really high on himself, the way he walks off off camera, dude. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what I mean? It yep. is it is the cockiest. Yeah, I mean Vince McMahon has nothing on it because Vince McMahon yeah. is too, it's too over the top. It's force. It's 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 yeah. comical. Lawler walks like he's the quarterback of the football team who just won the state championship uh-huh. and, and he's fucking all the cheerleaders, uh, which is probably would be his dream. <laughs> uh, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's not actual reality. Hey, oh, on that note, we. <laughs> We're going to close uh, this episode of Kentucky Fried Wrestling. And I think it's safe to say it indeed was a fabulous one with our guest, Howard Baum, who is going to be hey, here. Can I, say one, can I say one thing before you cut me off? Uh, well, that depends. <laughs> I just want to say, I just want to make sure I get one word in before the end of this uh, broadcast. Caravan. We're looking for a presidential caravan. Ah, Thank you. Yes, yes. There's the much needed closure. Thank you. Thank you, Internet. uh, I think you mean motorcade. (laughs) Ah, that's it. No, I was looking for the C one. I was looking for the C one, though. I was looking for the C. I knew it was like a C word I was looking for. And by the way, I I need to give Captain Lou uh, an assist there. Uh, He's the one who stooged it off about it being recruited. I was pretty sure it was recruited. Ah, son of a bitch. Well, they were both there at the time. They were both there at the time. It's all part of the overall gestalt. But thank you very uh, much, guys. And thank yeah, you, fans. Yes, and uh look forward to uh, you joining us uh, um, a little bit more often, Howard. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't tip the people too much. Don't, don't let us, you know. Let our marketing people get their act together. Oh, uh, right, 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 right. The, pre- the press releases have not gone out yet. I see. Okay. Uh, and, and we still need, we still need to shoot that special in Las Vegas. You know, that, that's that, right, man. That shows us. Oh, guys are in it now. Look out. You know, have, eating pizza and just hanging out. We're, you know, uh, bungee jumping, playing cards. <laughs> <laughs> Ch- chasing hookers. Uh, uh, <clears throat> anyway. Oh, oh I, Actually, I think my wife's calling. I got to go. Anyway, we'll be right back with more Kentucky Fried Wrestling right after this. You guys got the belts right here. The uh, the Southern Tag Team titles. You won them in the tournament. I know you're not happy about what happened after that, though. You know, Dave, before we start talking about what happened uh, last week, I just, you know, Eddie and myself, we've been doing a lot of thinking, you know. Uh, when Jackie called, you know, and uh, he asked us, you know, we had a chance to come back home and uh, be a part of something that uh, it's one of the biggest things in the country. You know, Jackie Fargo, you know, he's known all over the country. And it was a big thing, you know, to come back and especially to get to be one of Jackie Fargo's fabulous ones. You know, but uh, just like I said last week, I don't know, uh, we won the match, we won the belts, and but when we was laying there, Norvell and uh, Coco or, or whatever, whatever they want to be called, I don't, you know that. Right now, I'm talking about something that really it, it's it's bothered Eddie and it's bothered me all week. We was laying there, we was both bloody and uh, and you know about half out of it, and, and we heard some boos, you know, some people booing out in the crowd, and I mean, 
You know, I, I've been on both sides of the fence. I mean, everybody ain't going to like you all the time, but it was more than just a few of the people booing, you know, and, and Eddie and myself, you know, to win them belts, it was, you know, I've won the world heavyweight title at one time. I held that, and, and that was a big thriller. But to come home, Memphis, Tennessee, and, and to win the belts, you know, it was the biggest thing that ever happened. And just like I said, we was laying there, and after we got back to the back, you know, we sat in the back for a long time and we talked about it. And, uh, you know, all we could come up with was that a lot of the people thought we were here trying to replace Stay, uh, Steve Kern and Stanley Lane. Well, that's not what we're here for. That's Eddie Gilbert. I'm Tommy Rich. The name of the fabulous ones, Jackie Fargo made that name. And as far as Stan and Steve, you know, they were very good friends of Eddie's and mine both. They're the ones that wanted to go to Minnesota, to New York, and travel all over the country. I mean, I've done it, but I wanted to come home and I had a chance. And, and what I'm saying is... I don't really know how, what exactly I'm trying to say, but it's like when I was 11 years old, you know, I was 11 years old and my father, he went off, you know, he went off and left my mother and me, you know, and, and, and I thought, well, nobody can ever take his place. And my mother, you know, after it was over, sure, she's seen some other men. And, and, and I kind of held it against the men, you know. I'd go to sleep and during the night I'd get mad, I'd wake up. And, I, and at first I'd be mad at them men. And, but when I was laying in that ring last week, with blood all over me, and I heard them people booing. You know, I kind of thought, you know, I realized it wasn't the men's fault that was coming to see my mother. You know, my father, he's the one that left. He's the one that wanted to leave. And, and so, I mean, it wasn't like they were trying to take his place. He's the one that chose to leave. And, and uh, I don't know if, if, if that's the same thing that, that I mean, it's not is I mean, that's my family's what I'm trying to say there. But all these people, you know, we come home, we, we're doing it for Jackie Fargo, but we're doing it for all these people out here, too. That's what it's all about. Just like Jackie said, you know, they're the backbone. They're what, they're what makes wrestling happen. And all I want to say is that we're not here to take Stephen Stan's place. We're here as Eddie Gilbert and Tommy Rich, and we're going to do it just like it's supposed to be done, and we ain't going to let Jackie down and none of these dead dumb people out here. Well said, I think. Yeah. Tommy's right. That's exactly what I've been thinking. But you know. And we are back on KFR. I want to thank my tag team partner, Howard Atomic Baum. We'll see if that sticks. Uh, some people have called us the most unlikely duo since Rich and Gilbert, but I think our teamwork has become quite fluid. We're a well-oiled machine, much like Ricky and Robert when they hit the double drop kick. No hi-hats! No hi-hats. Absolutely no hi-hats. Honoring the legendary Jackie Fargo. Really upset about those hi-hats, wasn't he? Um, well, hey, you're going to be upset if you miss out on the new Fabulous Ones t-shirt that we have at MemphisWrestlingTees.com. It's also available on a coffee mug. And it's actually been proven that your coffee will be 28% stronger, Pally, served in a Fabulous Ones cup. It's true. Oh, it's damn true. And we've also got a new classic Jackie Fargo tee that you should check out over at MemphisWrestlingTees.com. It's just a great way, if you're a fan of this podcast, to support the show. You can follow me on Twitter at Trav Scott Bowden. You can follow Brian, if you choose, even though he stinks, at Great Brian Last. I just want to take a moment to remind you that Kentucky Fried Wrestling is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. For Brian Last, stinky. This is Scott Bowden. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye, everybody. 
The announcers on this program are selected and paid by parties other than this station, namely the promoters of championship wrestling.